How y'all doing? Glad y'all are here. We are continuing on with our God in Baseball series. And um, I just want to point out that this series has nothing to do with the Astros losing lately. Uh, completely different thing there. And, um, but they will get back on track, I'm sure of it. If you uh, have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be looking at the uh, second chapter of the letter to Ephesus, known as Ephesians, and uh, it is a beautiful letter, and the passage we're going to cover today is just amazing. And I know that as a pastor, I'm, I am prone to, and I've got the habit of showing up every Sunday and telling you this passage is important, but this passage is really important, and it is one of the most important in terms of us as a Christian people and us as a Methodist church as well, because it talks about our salvation, about what that means and how it's accomplished, and uh, there's nothing that's closer to our hearts than that. And so that's what we'll be talking about this morning. And in chapter 2 of his letter to the churches in Ephesus, he writes, At one time you were like a dead person because of the things you did wrong and your offense against God. You used to live like people of this world, you followed the rule of a destructive spiritual power. This is the spirit of disobedience to God's will that is now at work in persons whose lives are characterized by disobedience. At one time, you were like those persons. All of you used to do whatever felt good and whatever you thought you wanted to do so that you were children headed for punishment, just like everyone else. However... However, God is rich in mercy. He brought us to life with Christ while we were dead as a result of those things that we did wrong. He did this because of his great love that he has for us. You are saved by God's grace. And God raised us up and seated us in the heavens with Christ Jesus. God did this to show future generations the greatness of his grace by the goodness that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possessed. It's not something you did that you can be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishment, created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Amen. So the passage is uh, one of the easier ones to figure out what it is that Paul is talking about. He's talking about the grace of God. He... Uh, he goes and talks about this several times throughout the passage, about this powerful and amazing grace. And there's the kind of grace that you and I are, are happy to hear about. We get to hear about how God is gracious. You know, that's one of his characteristics, that God is gracious, and that he loves us, and that he forgives us. That is always something that we need to hear and be reminded of. It was central to who Jesus was as well. He knew God as a gracious father, as a loving father. And yet, there's more to it. There is the other piece that Paul talks about in this passage. He says, you know, it's the grace that works within our hearts. This power, this ability of God to work within our hearts and our lives to change us. And when we talk about grace, it's such an easy thing to say. It's a gift. It's free. It's something that God grants our hearts and our lives. He just gives it to us freely. It's not something that we accomplish or anything that we do. It's just a, a free gift, a free gift of God that is just flat-out amazing. And when he talks about this gift, he also spells out for them 
why this gift matters so much. And so let's go back to that passage and read his description of how he describes our situation. He says, At one time you were like a dead person because of the things you did wrong and your offenses against God. You used to live like people of this world. You followed the rule of a destructive spiritual power. This is the spirit of disobedience to God's will that is now at work in persons whose lives are characterized by disobedience. And so it's not an easy thing for us to hear, but he says you were, you were like a dead person because of the things you did wrong and your offenses against God. You were like a dead person. That's not a very cheery description of us, is it? No, of course not. But he said you were like a dead person. And um, I'm just going to play with this for just a moment, but, but think about what he's saying. He's saying it's not a matter of you having a kind of like a small cough or a cold, right? He's not saying that, you know, sin has given you some sniffles, right? And that a little bit of Vicks Vapor Rub is going to take care of everything. Instead, what does he say? You were, you were dead. And I know this is a little absurd, but what does that also mean? It means that you can't help yourself. I know it's kind of grim, but have you ever seen a dead person help themselves? If you have, we're going to make some cash, all right? But no, he's pointing it out. He's saying that there's nothing that we could have done. We were dead in our trespasses and in our, our sins. He's saying that, that's the condition that we find ourselves in. And what does that mean? It means that we don't seek God. We don't pursue God's love for us. We don't chase after God's heart. That we're dead. We, we can't do any of those things. And that we, you know, of course, people are going to do good things. People are going to do things that are help for our society, but at the end of the day, is everybody seeking God? No. Instead, it's more like the description that he gives. He says, doing whatever we want, whatever makes sense to us, and then expecting God to go along with it. And so that's the description that he gives, and he says, you know, that's, that's the state of our hearts, that we are spiritually dead. We don't have the life that we are supposed to have, and that we don't follow along with what God has in mind for us. And then there's this beautiful sentence, one of the most heartwarming ones in the Bible. He says, however, it's like a big but, you know, however, God is rich in mercy. Amen, church? God is rich in mercy. He brought us to life with Christ while we were dead as a result of those things that we did wrong. He did this because of his great love that he has for us. You were saved by God's grace. And God raised us up and seated us in the heavens with Christ Jesus. God did this to show future generations the greatness of his grace by the goodness that God has shown in Christ Jesus. So even though we're dead in our trespasses, even though it's a fatal condition, even though it's a common problem that 100% of all humanity faces, it says, however, God is merciful. God is rich in his mercy, and he gives us grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And I could never run out of that. God just keeps pouring it into our hearts and our lives. And he says, well, you are saved by God's grace. And God raised us up and seated us in the heavens with Christ Jesus. It's a fascinating sentence. It says, you are saved by God's grace. And God raised us up and seated us in the heavens with Christ Jesus. And so the description that he gives, all, all those words all begin with a, a prefix that you and I know well. It's S-Y-N, sin, sympathetic, sympathy, symbiotic. You know, those are the, the words that he gives. And he says, 
That is what is happening. It says, with Christ, we are saved. With this free gift that Christ has given us, we are saved. And that not only that, but that we are raised. That we're not just left to the outskirts and to be, you know, cast aside and just waiting, hopefully. But rather that Christ brings us to a place in which we are raised with him. And that we are seated next to them. That we have a place next to Christ. And all those words are, are what? They're, they're past tense words. They already happened. It's saying that in what God has done and for us and for our salvation, he's already made it possible for us to have salvation, to be seated next to him, to be raised with him, to be exalted with him, and not to be a people that are just getting by. And you can begin to say when those three things come to happen, that we are saved by grace, that we're raised with him, that we're exalted with him, that these are all things that can't be replaced. It's irreplaceable, this grace that he gives us. We can't swap it out with anything else. Our achievements, our wealth, the esteem of our peers, we can try and put it there, but it never can take the place of God's grace working in our lives. On the flip side of things, you know, if our hearts are filled with shame or guilt or dissatisfaction, or envy, or, or whatever. It needs to be uprooted and made holy and cleansed by the grace of God as well. Then he goes on and says, You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. And we all understand gifts, don't we? Have you ever gone to uh, an event or made a purchase where they tell you, you get a free gift with that? It seems like Amazon all the day long now is giving you free gifts for purchasing a particular product. And then you look at the details of what you get, and it's like 25 cents, right? You're like, oh, big deal. I think I'll buy this other one. Um, but then again, you know, there's powerful gifts, amazing gifts. There's a pastor named Lloyd-Jones, and um, he was talking about how, you know, just imagine for a moment that you're out somewhere, and one of your friends comes up to you and says, hey, while you were away from your house, um, I went by, and I noticed that you had a stack of bills. And I decided to write a check for one of those bills, and I, I mailed it off. Which would be pretty cool, right? We'd all like that friend. You know? But the question becomes, you know, what, what bill did you pay? Which one did you pick? I mean, it's one thing if he took care of my 25-cent library fine, right? It's a whole other matter if she paid off my mortgage, right? That would be pretty amazing, and what Paul is driving at and is what he's saying is, is this is a profound gift that nobody else could have accomplished for us to raise us from the dead, to put those ER paddles upon us and say, clear, we were dead and we have new life and that we could not have done that on our own, but rather because of God's steadfast love for us, we can have salvation. And he's saying that is the cosmic scope of this gift. That is how profoundly great this gift is. And that's all done for you. And that we receive it through our faith. And the sentence is kind of tricky and complicated in that it's this relationship between God's grace and our faith 
that there's just an overlap, a togetherness of it, that it all just kind of runs together. And when I look at that, I think of the fact that God not only gives us grace, but he grows faith within us, this ability to trust him and believe in what God can accomplish. And what does that look like? What does it look like for us to have an opportunity, to have a gift, and then use our faith in order to receive it? Well, to tie it together with baseball, I, uh, I was reminded this week of a situation in 1988. Some of you were not born then, but some of you remember that there was an amazingly great uh, World Series game in which the Los Angeles Dodgers took on the Oakland A's. And at the very end of the game, the last game of the series, uh, there was an opportunity that was just fantastic baseball. And it all revolves around a player named Kirk Gibson who the night before had been in a car accident and he had, he had really hurt his leg to the point where he did not even start the game. And yet, uh, when he had the opportunity to come onto the field and to have a chance at bat, he took it. And so just keep in mind, when we watch this clip, the person coming to the ba base is Kirk Gibson, and he's been injured, and he's got... Some baseball greatness there. And so he had that opportunity. Kirk Gibson's in the World Series. He's been given this fantastic opportunity. And then on top of that, you think about the faith of the manager, Tommy Lasorda, who I best remember for selling Pepto-Bismol, right? And he put that guy in the game, even though he's banged up, he still believed in his player. And what's fascinating to me is that after it all happened, uh, they interviewed Kirk Gibson and they said, well, how did you know? I mean, how did you know that was the pitch coming? And he said, well, we've got this tremendous scout and he had given us all instruction. He said, when that relief, I mean, when that uh, closing pitcher, Eckersley, who was one of the greatest in the game of all time, when he got to a 3-2 count, you could just about depend on the fact that a slider was coming. And so he made the adjustment, he followed his coaching, and he knocked it out of the park. And when I think about our faith, we have this fantastic and amazing opportunity that God has presented into our lives to have life and life eternal. And the question that we're faced with on a daily basis, if not more than that, is why we're willing to step up and have faith in what God has told us is possible. To step up and do our absolute best to knock it out of the park. And this is exactly what Paul says. He says, for you, you are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possessed. It's not something you did or that you can be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishment created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. We are God's accomplishment, God's success story, God's win, God's home run. And he's simply inviting us to say, come and do the good things. It may not be a home run in the World Series, but you know the good things that are in front of you. You know the possibilities that are there once you have salvation and life eternal. And what will you do with it? And we could spell it out. We could say these are what the good things are that you're supposed to do. But far better you take that to your Sunday school class or your small group or your family over lunch and just ask that simple question. What is the, the good things that you and I are called to do because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. Let us pray. Almighty and Heavenly Father, 
we cannot thank you enough. We cannot do enough for the great gift that you have given us in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that in the weeks to come that your grace would continue to pour within our hearts and our lives. Whether it is that we receive your grace through our prayers or through reading scriptures or coming to worship or being in fellowship with other people, all of those ways in which your grace is made available to each of us. Help it to grow within our hearts. Help it to change our hearts. If any of us knows good and well that we are dead in our trespasses and our sins, Lord, we pray and ask that your grace would be poured out even more, renewing us our salvation and a right spirit this day and all these things.